So, just a few thoughts uh, about meditation, uh, which have a, will have a very short lifespan, because as soon as I finished saying them, you will have to forget them, and then we'll meditate. But the only purpose of, of these, really, is to, um, to prepare us for meditation, most important. Um, aspect of most of what we say and do in relation to meditation is that it is a preparation for the practice, for the experience. But that's important, because otherwise we, we start in the wrong way, or we go off in the wrong direction, or we give up too quickly. Uh, so preparation and understanding has a certain value and importance if you want to learn to meditate, and meditation is a learning process, it's not something you get a, a degree in or a qualification in and then you can say, you know, I'm a meditator, now I can do it and move on to something else. Um, so it's something that we are always learning, something that's always new in that sense, that's why it's important and interesting. And the first thing perhaps we need to try to grasp about meditation is it's about the power of being. It's about being rather than just doing. And being, what is being? Well, being is like the breath. We, we breathe continuously. Uh, as long as we are here on this earth, we're breathing and uh, we don't have to stop breathing for very long before we cease to be here. Uh, but we take it for granted. We breathe, I think, what is it, 20,000 times a day, um, depending on how much exercise you do, I suppose. Um, but we very rarely pay attention to our breathing unless we feel it's blocked or or maybe when we're very anxious and we start hyperventilating or something, we become aware of breath. Otherwise, we just take it for granted. It's always there. It's a very obvious aspect of our whole life. And being is even more obvious, even more taken for granted. Uh, yet, without being, there is nothing. That's why we fear death so much. That may be why we fear silence. Maybe why we fear not having something to do this weekend. That we like and need to keep frenetically occupied. So we, f we certainly fear, at first we fear, in our culture anyway, other cultures, understand this better than we do. They haven't lost this, this respect for being, this reverence for being. We have, largely. Um, so without being, we just have the void. Just one big emptiness. If you saw the film Interstellar, you know, going into the black hole and everything is turned upside down. 
and inside out. And what is there to say about nothing? Nothing. We can't describe nothing. Uh, if, we if we can describe it, then it's not nothing. So, uh, that's a pretty basic, may seem very abstract, but it's a very basic uh, premise, really, of any conscious human life. If you haven't at some point given your attention to this very obvious thing, you know, it's about time that we did. So precisely because it is so obvious and omnipresent being, without being there is nothing, we take it for granted and then what do we do? We move very quickly, instantaneously on to existence. So the basic thing I would like to focus on today in our preparation for meditation and then in our uh, readings is this distinction between being and existence. And of course we normally combine them, confuse them. To be is to exist. To exist is to be. And it's true, you can't exist without being. But there is a distinction between them. The word existence, it tells us, you know, the roots of the word uh, tell us really what it means. Uh, existence comes from the Latin ex, which means to out, and sistere, which means in Latin to take a stand. So it's to stand. Uh, in, in particular, it means to stand out or to stand up for something, or to come forth, to emerge. So you could say maybe that a baby, an infant in the womb, is still pretty much in a state of pure being. But when it comes out, it begins to exist. And there's a world of difference between those two forms of its life. Um, but does it cease to be when it exists? So to exist is to become visible. It is to manifest something, to appear, to come to light, to be produced, to turn into something. So, we don't have to define all this too, too rigorously, but just to, just to feel this distinction between being and existence. We'll talk later about the difference between being and doing. But more fundamental, really, is this distinction between being and existence, I think. And yet, being, you may think, well, the only purpose of being is that you can exist. You can do something. You can produce something. You can manifest something. You can work. But being, actually, in the understanding of all the great wisdom of humanity, which our culture has largely uh, forgotten, being has and is 
the great gift in itself. It contains everything. Children know this. That's why we look at them with such wonder, because they seem to be experiencing something that we, we, we can't. And saints, or enlightened people, uh, similarly communicate this experience of being just by the way they talk, act, are in the world. They know it experientially, and most important, in a sustained way. It becomes part of the way they live. We all, I hope, you know, have had moments of pure being. Maybe moments of love, maybe moments of beauty, moments of transcendence, deep moments in prayer, whatever. Uh, moments of pure communication with another person. Discovery of something true. These are all little glimpses, of course, of pure being. But our need is to sustain and ex extend those gifted moments. So being is not just a blank screen that we write things on. You know, when you're writing on a, on a, on a whiteboard uh, in a classroom, you, you clear everything off, but the only purpose of clearing it off the board is to write new things on it. But being isn't like that. And that's important to keep in mind because many people think when they first approach meditation that the goal is to blank out your mind. In fact, you will meet some fundamentalist uh, people who are sort of opposed to meditation who will say that meditation is really dangerous because you blank out your mind then God knows what comes into it. But that isn't what it's about. In any way, it would be nice if you could blank out your mind, uh, but as we all know, it isn't as easy to do anyway. But it's not about blankness or nothingness in that negative sense. In the same way, silence, which is very related to being, Again, something that in our culture we have forgotten. There is almost, there is a, de de a rapidly decreasing presence of silence in our uh, urban life. You go into a restaurant, I, I, I thought I was just becoming a grumpy old man, but a lot of other people told me that they do the same. Uh, you know, you go into a restaurant and the, the music level is louder and louder. Why? Why do we have to fill up the natural spaces of silence that allow us to communicate, to be, to enjoy? So you have to shout, you know, uh, over the music to communicate with other people. And if you ask the, the waiter to turn the music down, they look at you as if you're just dropped in from Mars. So, all of this may sound quite abstract, but being is not a blank screen, and silence is not just a white space that we have to fill. 
But culturally, and in our education, unfortunately, this is how we have come, are coming to see it. And this, if we don't uh, unravel this and throw some light on this, the danger is, of course, that we, we get off on the wrong foot with meditation. We try to achieve the wrong thing. In fact, we try to achieve something which is not what it's about anyway. So it's not about blanking out your mind so that you can write something on, on it, some idea, some experience, some, some thoughts, some insight. And it's not about just uh, you know, filling up this white space with something, with some nice melody or some tune we can whistle, even if it's a religious tune. So what is it? Well, that's what we have to find out. So this may sound quite abstract, but it's actually a point of view that can help us really to get into meditation and to go deeper into it. To understand it, means to see what being means, of course we have to taste it. As I was saying last night, wisdom is about tasting the truth, tasting reality, knowing it firsthand on the tip of your tongue, with your taste buds. It's to experience it, and the most direct way to do this, and to sustain it, I mean, it could, it could flash it in on you at any moment, when you're having a walk on the mountains here, or while you're waiting for a cup of tea to be delivered, it could flash in at any moment, like the great poem by, by Yeats. I sat a solitary man in a crowded London shop. Cup, something on the marble tabletop. And of a sudden my body blazed, and for 20 minutes, more or less, I was blessed and could bless. I sat a solitary man in a crowded London shop. A cup of tea on a marble tabletop. So, these moments can break through, of course, in any way. Probably, maybe less and less in our frenetic, distracted world, but they could do. But the important thing is, how do we sustain this? How do we make it part of our life? Because it is the ground of our life. And this, the most direct and simple way to do this and to sustain it is the work of silence. Silence is the fruit of attention. Pay attention to anything, anyone, at any time, and you will begin to become silent. And silence is also the medium of attention. We need at least to minimize the external and internal distractions uh, which interrupt our power of attention if we want to pay attention to some things. Please turn down the music because I want to have a conversation with my friend here. So there are different kinds of silence. External silence that we practice when we meditate, when we try to sit still, be quiet, and then not cough, uh, or cough mindfully. Uh, and there is, of course, this, the deeper meaning and experience of silence that we practice in saying the mantra. That's our focus of attention. 
Distraction is noise. Meaningless noise, in fact. Confused noise. It's like in a crowded railway train. I was stuck in a very crowded train the other day. Um, and you have the noise of the train. You have the long announcements coming over at every stop, saying how pleased they are that you're travelling with them. And then you have dozens of uh, disconnected conversations going on all around you, some of which you would try to listen to, some of which you would rather not hear, and so on. Some of which are very loud, and others are just... Um, but you can't put it together into any meaningful whole, into any meaningful uh, way. And therefore we feel excluded by that kind of noise. We feel isolated. We feel uh, basically relationship is disrupted by distraction. And distraction is what we face when we meditate. We'll talk about that in a couple of days in more detail. Silence, however, is the medium of true communication verbal, physical, emotional, spiritual. Even in the midst of the very noisy railway carriage, your attention can be focused on the person sitting opposite you, with whom you're trying to have a conversation. They're not ideal conditions, but you can do it if you work at it. And silence is a kind of work. Attention is a kind of work. Saying the mantra is a kind of work. So being underpins and comprehends and enfolds all of this, everything. Being is everything, but everything held in relationship, not distracted. Being is the opposite of distraction, fragmentation, meaninglessness. Being is our source of meaning. Meaning is about connection. In meditation, we drop the noise. We do the work of taking the attention off our distractions, not blanking out the mind, because you can't do that. There are people, you may try to blank out your mind, uh, but it probably won't be good for you, because it's unnatural. So it's not about blanking out the mind, it's simply dropping our attention to the noise and the distraction in order to listen with the ear of the heart. And that means our deepest faculty of attention, the ear of the heart. So that's why we say we listen to the mantra as we say it. Listen to it. Our deepest instinct and our deepest desire is to be. The survival instinct of the ego is very powerful and we think it is the most dominant instinct. But in fact, our hunger for being is the essence of being human, of human being. And we cannot find rest, peace, joy, or satisfaction 
or meaning until we have found a steady, continuous relationship to being. The regular practice of meditation is what allows this relationship with being to grow, and it changes our existence. Remember, being comes before existence, just as being comes before doing. And it changes our existence and our daily life, and it rewrites the neural pathways that control our fears, anxieties, and compulsions. And to some extent, we can observe that, measure that. But relationship with being is a dangerous phrase, because it implies that we can observe it being itself. We can't observe being. We observe the manifestations of being in existence, our blood pressure, our moods, our interactions with people. We can observe that, our states of mind. But being, we can't observe. You can't evaluate it as we do our relationship with the window cleaner or with our spouse or with a work colleague. You can observe and evaluate those relationships totally different from our, our, what we might call our relationship with being. So it's better to say we don't have a relationship with being because we are. We is, we be. We meditate because we are already in being, but we know the need and feel the need to be fully full, fully alive. So this means, in practice, that we don't evaluate each meditation period as if it were a transaction or an experiment we were doing, or that we're getting something out of it. Now that goes against the grain of all our training and conditioning, both as consumers or as scientists or whatever. But it's something we have to learn, to relearn, until we get the point of it. John Main said, to, puts his emphasis on saying the mantra without demands or expectations and then live out the consequences of saying it. I think that's a beautiful summary of our approach to meditation. Say the mantra without demands or expectations and then just live the consequences of that practice. Of course, you will become aware of the fruits of meditation in your life, otherwise we wouldn't be here, but that's secondary, that's existential. What is ontological, that's being, is just doing it. Being is simple, and the simple know what being is, like children or saints. Now again, this is tricky because you can't try not to try. It is practice, the right practice in the right way, that leads us into this simplicity of being. So the thoughts that we have when you meditate, am I wasting my time? Am I doing this right? Am I get really getting anything out of this? 
is this where I really want to go? Should, could I be doing something more profitable? Am I successful? Am I better than the person next to me, or am I better than I was yesterday? These kind of thoughts you have to just drop in the same way as you drop thoughts about problems at work, anxieties about relationships, or things you've watched on TV, fantasies. All must be renounced in the work of silence, and we do that by giving our full attention to the mantra. So let's take our time to meditate now. Uh, maybe just take a moment to stand and have a little stretch. Physical preparation is always, it's always a good thing, it's a natural thing. So if you feel uh, kind of reluctant to meditate, it's your right time to meditate, but you're a bit reluctant, then do a little stretch and it will refresh, refresh you. Let's take a moment to stand upright. As we move from thinking to the work of silence, of letting go of our thoughts, just feel as if you were aligned on a, on a line from the crown of your head to the heels of your feet. Just standing as you are engineered to stand. Just be aware of your breathing for a few moments, turn your attention to your breath. The friendly companion of your breath. So your, um, your posture, of course, is important. First of all, your physical posture. So take a moment to sit with your back straight. It helps you to be alert and present. But also be comfortable, so don't strain it. So just find the right way of sitting in the chair on your sit bones that allow you to be still and be upright and comfortable all at once. During the meditation, let's try to be as physically still as possible. That stillness is, will teach us a, a great deal, more than any, <coughs> any talks you hear. Try to sit still and be as quiet as possible because the silence that we share during the meditation is, is something we truly share and uh, each of us uh, contributes to that quality of silence. Relax your shoulders, muscles of your face. 
your jaw. You can put your tongue, uh, if you like, maybe just on the lightly on the touching the back of your lower teeth. That will help you not to swallow too much. But basically, just be as comfortable as you can. And then the inner posture, that's the external posture, but the interior posture is the really important one, of course. And this is the posture of attention. Just as it is about stillness and silence. So the stillness is that we're not running after every thought, desire, fantasy and anxiety that pops up in the stream of consciousness, mental consciousness. So we're just holding our ground, we're stay, staying in one place, and to help us to do that, the essential work of doing that, is the work of attention, and the essential work of attention that we practice is the saying of the mantra. The mantra is, a, is a, a word, a sacred word, or a meditation word, uh, or short phrase, and we repeat the word in our mind, in our heart, with attention. That's all we have to do. We don't have to say the mantra and solve our problems. Say the mantra and go on a fantasy trip, say our mantra and have a sleep, say our mantra and uh, plan what we're going to do this afternoon. We simply say the mantra and any thought, good thoughts, insights, holy thoughts, bad thoughts, any kind of thought that comes into your mind, gently let it go. It's just not the right time. You just, you just say to it, basically, just come back later. So the word I would recommend is the word Maranatha. It's an ancient word, it, and, and also as a collection of syllables, it's a very ancient sound. And if you choose this word, say it as four syllables, ma, ra, na, tha. Articulate it in your mind clearly, ma, ra, na, tha. Listen to the word as you say it, ma, ra, na, tha. You might say it with attention two or three times, if you're lucky, before you get distracted. You may stay distracted for the next 20 minutes. But as soon as you realize that you've wandered off the path, and the mantra is your path, then you, you, you don't have to worry, you don't have to evaluate yourself or beat yourself up. You're only one step away from the path, and it will welcome you back without reproach. So any feeling of, of failure or guilt or self-rejection is a waste of time and it's your own you know, self-projection. So the path is a friendly, welcoming path and it's 
in the first instance about being friendly with yourself and accepting yourself as you are. So accept yourself as a distracted being, distracted person. We all are, every one of us in this room will experience distraction. So as soon as you realize that you've been lured off the path by some thought or other, come back, drop it, come back to the mantra. Ma, ra, na, va. It might seem uh, what it sounds like if you haven't meditated before is different from, I mean, this instruction. Uh, if you haven't meditated before, will sound different from what the, your actual experience of it is. So trust, just trust your own experience. So again, sit with your up, back upright, your hands on your lap, on your knees. Close your eyes lightly. Relax, be alert. Breathe normally. And then gently begin to say your mantra without force, without impatience, and with a lot of self-acceptance, a lot of forgiveness. The word again, Maranatha, Ma-ra-na-tha.